Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller, where we talk about everything NBA basketball. Joining me today is a Memphis legend. He hosts the Jeff Hawkins Show from 9 to 11 on 92.9 FM ESPN. He writes for the Daily Memphian, where he covers all things Memphis. And somehow, some way, he makes some time to come on my little show. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Uh, it's good to be on. Thanks for inviting me, Joe. And uh, pardon the puppies in the background, which are <laughs> fight, they seem to be fighting over a toy. So, uh, anyway, it's good to be with you. Yeah, for sure. No, dogs are dogs are always a plus, no matter <laughs> what the situation. Uh, so, inevitable here. So, yeah. So, yeah. First question I had is: you write and talk a lot about different things that go on in the city of Memphis. We'll get to the Grizzlies in a second, but. You cover the Memphis Tigers football team, the Memphis Tigers basketball team. You've written amazing profiles about people in the city of uh, Memphis. I was reading your profile on uh, Jimmy Thomason recently, and I thought that was some excellent work. And somehow you also have a radio show from 9 to 11. You frequently appear on other 92.9 shows. You've written a book. How are you able to balance doing all of these different things? Oh, well, first of all, the book. The book is just a collection of columns. So let's be honest. We stapled together a bunch of columns that I wrote and called it a book. So that was easy. Um, oh, I don't know. You know, to me, the interesting thing is, is that, and, and someday you may hit the stage, it's to balance that stuff that I do for my professional life with raising three boys. Um, and now I, they are all launched in one way or another. They're all out of the house. And um, my youngest is a freshman at Duke, and so he just left this year. And um, so uh, that's really been, honestly, the challenge is how you, and I, that's not for me, just it's for pretty much everyone I know. In the end, how do you balance your professional life with, um, with being a present parent and an effective parent? And, um, and then I think during the pandemic, people really have had this sense that they've failed at everything, right? I think that's a real sense of, of we have all done badly at all of it. But it's why, honestly, when I recently, Brady White, Memphis lost to Tulane um, and in football a couple of weeks ago. And Brady White, the quarterback at Memphis, was asked, you know, was it still a successful season? And what he said was, um, you know, normally he, it's all about winning championships and it still is like the goal is still to win a championship. He said, but coming into this year, he said, my goal was to be present every day, to be engaged, to be, to get whatever there was to be gotten out of this season. And I honestly think it's a great way, particularly in the pandemic to measure ourselves, not, you know, how many awards did I win or did I do my best work as a columnist or radio host or a dad, but did I do the best I can? Was I present every day? Did I somehow, you know, was I able to remain optimistic and um, and all of that? So the rest of it, you know, it, the good news is, is that my jobs feed into themselves. You know, I what I write about at night, the night, you know, on the Grizzlies game, I'll talk about the next morning on the radio. And so those things aren't, you know, there's a substantial amount of overlap. And um, and a lot of people do it. And honestly, it's one of the fun, one of the really fun things about my job is that it's so interwoven with a city and a sense of place. I think when I was a kid, you know, when I was a kid, Sports Illustrated was the thing, right? You waited for your Sports Illustrated to come every week. It was 
And I sort of thought I wanted to work, it'd be cool to write for Sports Illustrated. And right out of journalism school, I actually interviewed for a job at Sports Illustrated that I did not get. And so I went down this other path. And the person who I was competing with, Chris Stone, became ultimately the editor of Sports Illustrated. This was for a small job a long time ago. He got it. I didn't. But I'm glad I didn't because I like, I like the part of my job that is being really involved with a place and uh, where the people who read you are the same people that you see in the grocery store. And um, it has been, you know, I've now been here nearly 25 years and um, it's really the fun part of it. It's, you know, the games are great, but it's being engaged with the city and the people of a city that's been the most fun. So you've been here before the Memphis Grizzlies moved here, right? Oh yeah, in fact, um, absolutely. You know, I came here right when Memphis was, um, uh, you know, feeling really low because it had not gotten an NFL team. And then the Oilers uh, moved to Nashville. And so that really closed the door forever. And so this whole dream of being a major league sports team was dead. And then there was this amazing sports city. And then there was this incredible brawl over whether to bring the Grizzlies to town or not, and whether to build FedEx Forum or not. I cannot begin to explain how unpopular it was. Um, and so I was writing columns um, at the time saying, listen, yeah, of course it's sort of immoral to spend 250 million public dollars for an arena in a poor city when we just built the pyramid but this is the price of admission and it, you, you pay it. And, 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 and it was probably the least popular series of columns I've ever written were um, the sort of campaign to say you have to do it. And I have a very good friend and colleague, David Waters at the Commercial Appeal at the time who was writing the other side of it. And there were lots and lots of people on the other side of it. There were yard signs all over saying no taxes, no new taxes, NBA, no taxes, NBA or something like that. And um, um, if you had put it to a vote, if it had gone to a referendum of the entire county, it would have been resoundingly defeated. Um, and, um, and one of the really good things that uh, Mayor Harrington and Jim Rout, who was the mayor of the county at the time, and, um, and all the folks who were involved with what was called the pursuit team did was basically said, we know what's best for you. We're gonna bring this team here. And it's been a fabulous success. Democracy just kind of out the window for a second. It is representative democracy. Like we we do have a representative democracy. We don't put everything to vote by a referendum. Really what you often see in this world is people want, when people want a referendum, it's because they think they know what way the referendum will go. The people who wanted a referendum on the arena um, did so because they thought a referendum would defeat the arena. The people who they elected um, to represent them on the city council and the council and the county commission, which is how democracy really works, those people chose to build the arena. And, um, and for some of them, a guy named Morris Fair was a county commissioner who was a Republican and voted for the arena and he lost his next election because he voted for the arena. And um, so that's, you know, sort of a profile in courage that you don't really always see anymore. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it was not what the people would have wanted in the moment, but it was what the people 
who elected their representatives, well, those representatives decided that this would be good for the city, and it clearly has been. Yeah, that's just, I don't know, to me, like public funding of stadiums and of arenas is just a very frustrating issue because at the local level, it seems like cities are just sort of like players in the game ultimately, like unless there's some type of national legislation to make it so these sports leagues that make billions of dollars every year would have to finance these arenas or stadiums by themselves. It seems like the, the league can basically just hold these cities hostage yeah, to some extent. There's a artificial scarcity of teams. And so they play cities off of each other. And um, it, it makes, it is galling, it's offensive, it's all of this stuff. But it is also in the end, okay, fine. Do you pay the price or not? Because in a city like Los Angeles, Los Angeles might be able to say, you know what, we're not doing it. If you want, and and and, and the market and the and the leagues want to be there so badly, and the owners see so much potential for money that they say, fine, we'll build it ourselves. But in a city like Memphis it, or or Nashville, same thing with a football stadium, or you take your pick. If you don't build a stadium, they're not coming. And if you don't build them a new stadium, they're leaving. Um, and that's just the price. It, it is a I wish I could. I wish I could change the universe so that we're not so, but that is the universe, and um, and so you either have a choice: you're going to play ball or not. And if you don't, that's fine, but then you won't have the Grizzlies. People who said, "Well, the Grizzlies should come here but play in the pyramid," they weren't going to. So, um, so they would have gone to Louisville or would have gone to you know somewhere else, New Orleans at the time or wherever. So, um, it was uh, you know it, it is frustrating. And most economists will tell you all the stuff that you hear about economic impact is complete BS. There's just, it has about the economic impact of a grocery store. But, um, but it does have a psychic impact. And I think for the city, it particularly has had a psychic, important psychic impact. And so, um, yeah, but at a large level, you can't justify it. But at the micro level, I don't know how you can't just go ahead and shut up and pay the damn thing. Yeah, like even with the FedEx Forum being built, it seems like Memphis is always in that conversation of like, oh, we don't have an NBA team in Seattle. Should we, the Grizzlies, do they deserve a team? Like, it seems like even in this system, the small, like those smaller market teams are always going to be at that disadvantage where they just don't have the leverage that these other bigger teams do. Well, and if you don't have a, the, the, the one way you can feel more secure about it is if you're a small market team is if you have a, uh, local owner who you know is only in it for the good of the community, but even then, the, the it only that only lasts as long as the local owner lives, you know, and and so um, so you never know. And and I do believe that Robert Perra has been a good owner for this team in the city, but yeah, there'll always be that uncertainty. And um, listen, if Cleveland can lose a football team, if Baltimore can lose a football team. If Seattle can lose an NBA team uh, and on and on, anyone can lose a team if you don't pay up. Like I'm, I'm anticipating the day, I'm from Buffalo originally, when the Bills need a new stadium, which is soon. And as it, I know it doesn't make sense to spend a billion dollars at this point in a poor city like Buffalo to build a new arena. But as a Buffalo Bills fan, I just want to say, shut up politicians and pay the damn bill. Like that's more important to me than anything else they could do. Like, of course, I don't live in Buffalo. So the services mean nothing to me, but I want the bills to say in Buffalo, I don't care what it costs. And, um, and that may not be good economic policy, but as a fan, that's certainly how you think.
the Bills are winning the division right now, so they've got to. <laughs> it's going to be, knock on wood, but it does it does seem like it might be there, uh, a blind pig in an acorn year. Yep. So yeah, moving moving on to <laughs> more like of the Memphis Grizzlies. So last season they finished ninth. They lost the play-in game to the Portland Trailblazers. You know all of this. You cover the team, but in general, do you view this season as? a team that was on the cusp of making the playoffs, or do you think this Western conference is just much more loaded this year? Oh, I think the advantage of this season is it's funny because we've seen John now played, you know, look spectacular on two exhibition games. And so preseason games, so who knows, but um, it feels to me like a wonderful year to watch the kids grow and not particularly care if you make the playoffs or not and go ahead and certainly I'm not advising tanking, but I am suggesting that if it works out that, you know, this year is about growth and, you know, they weren't particularly aggressive in the off season, see what you have in this team, let the big dogs in the West fight it out, be in the lottery, which is supposed to be a deep lottery. Um, I mean, to obviously try to win every game. I'm not at all really truly advising tanking, um, but then, maybe at the end of the year I might be advising tanking but right now I'm not and <laughs> um, and and then but you'll probably be in the lottery you know it's another way to add an important piece because in the end the time when this team really should be competing it seems to me is next year and the next year and the next year and it's particularly obvious um, and makes it easier to make that to to endorse that approach when basically fans aren't going to be allowed in the building anyway um, at any great to any great extent so it's a perfect year to say you know what well, we're just gonna let go on a slow growth plan here and that's I think pretty clearly what they are doing and I think it's pretty clearly the right thing to do now John may be so spectacular that it just changes the dynamic um, and who else knows and that would be a good thing that's great but I think that's the approach and I endorse it I was watching both of those preseason games against Minnesota and my first thought was just like, okay, this is a preseason game. Like, I'm not sure what can really be gathered from this, but even against like a team like Minnesota, who's probably going to have a bottom five defense in the NBA, just because guys like Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are just awful defenders. And they're going to be getting 20, 30 minutes a night for this team. So a guy like John Morant who attacks the paint should be able to get a lot of points and assists against that type of team just with a horrible defense what do you think is the ceiling for this team if they go into the season with Grayson Allen starting and Kyle Anderson playing the four in lieu of Jaron Jackson missing time well I mean I don't want to put a ceiling on it but I think <laughs> the ceiling I mean the ceiling is you just go through the teams in the west it's hard to imagine you can tick off six or seven teams that are right that seem hard to imagine how the Grizzlies would have a better record. I think a reasonable, I don't even think it's a goal. I think it's reasonable to think you'd like the team to be in a playoff hunt or in the hunt for, obviously there's going to be the play-in. So right. it's 10 teams that will be, you know, at least competing toward the playoffs at the end. But will I be depressed if they're not even in that <laughs> group of 10? No, I won't be. The only, the only, the only trick is this, that what is important this year is development. Right, it's important. Really, probably, it, obviously, to just stay healthy and continue to progress. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is the most important story this year. Can he come back in 
good health and remain healthy and be as good or better than the player that we saw in the bubble, who was not just good um, at hitting three pointers, but he was starting to, um, you know, to, to, to drive and uh, score at the rim. And can he be a slightly effective rebounder? And to me, Jaron, we know, we think we know that there's one truly legit gold-plated star on this team. And then we always talk about Jaron as the second one. But we don't really know that, partly because his health is such a big question at this point. He is sort of the Grizzlies' Chris Stapps Porzingis. And, um, and so what is he going to be? I think that's the mo next most important thing. But then you have a bunch of other questions. What is Justice Winslow going to be? How is he going to fit? Is he going to be the impact pe player that people imagine or the not that impactful player that he actually has been um, even before, uh, you know, for the Heat. Um, is DeAnthony Melton going to take another step and become a slightly better shooter as while continuing to fill up the box score? Is Grayson Allen going to become a more consistent shooter, become the shooter that he was in the bubble as opposed to the shooter that he was through much of the season? Is you just go right down the line? Um, is, is Brandon Clark, what's his ceiling? Is he an effective bench player? Is he like, can he take another step and be? more effective defensively, um, et cetera. So the thing, and those are the things that matter, the development matters much more than where they finish. The thing is, it's hard to imagine a world where those things go well and they also don't finish in the top 10. You know, if, if, if you are, if all those, if all those development curves are going the way you want them to, then they'll be in the top, then they'll be in that, certainly in that playoff conversation. And so, I don't really care if they're in the playoff conversation as much as I care about those development curves. But if they go well, they should be in the playoff conversation. No, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you there from the standpoint of this should be about like what this team wants to be in the future, given the fact Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, they're both 21 years old. They're not in their athletic primes yet. This team's going to have these guys moving forward unless they decide to move off of Jaron, which I don't see them doing within the next. Well, and you see years. the other, you all see other teams like, um, New Orleans by getting rid of Drew Holiday and getting what they did, they basically said our time is not now either. You know, our time is going to be uh, down the road. Um, obviously, Oklahoma City, their time is going to be down the road. Um, and you might want to say, well, the Lakers are going to, you know, LeBron's got to get old someday. But the matter is, they're the Lakers, so they're always going to reload. They're going to have Anthony Davis. Like they're they're just always, it feels to me, going to be relevant. And so. Um, and, and so you look at the teams that you're competing against or imagine that you'll be competing against in three years for division titles. And it's Dallas and it's New Orleans and it's Oklahoma City and it may yet be Denver. And, um, and you know, and then the L.A. teams, just because they're L.A. teams will sort of seem like they'll always be in it. And that's what you're really competing against. Not, you know, can we squeak in wherever this year? I don't really care. I vividly remember, I don't know if this was the 2018 Grizzly season or if this was the 2019 one. This was the one where we traded for Avery Bradley, like yeah. towards the end of the season. I remember there was, I think I might've been listening to Jason and John at this point, but someone was like making the case, like, you know, like with Avery Bradley, if we just run this back next year, we're going to have like a really good team. And Jason and John were just like, didn't we just try this? Like with Mark Gasol, Mike Conley, you know, like we need to just take it back. We need to develop, establish a solid team, get the guys in place. I think we've seen teams like Minnesota that I mentioned earlier who have tried like trading for a guy like Jimmy Butler a few years ago, where 
they rushed the development process and now they're in kind of a pickle where Carl Anthony Towns has four years left on his deal and we'll see what happens there. But I think the Grizzlies, they have time. They have basically John Jaron Jackson for the next five or six years if they play their cards right in terms of contracts. So yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. It's all circumstantial. Like I, I, I guess Phoenix has quote unquote rushed the developmental curve by going on getting Chris Paul, but I don't mind that, you know, it's, right. it's like they're at a place where they're kind of impatient. They're getting a new arena. Like I, I understand why they are doing what they're doing. And I never was one who had any objection to running the Grizzlies back as long as that run could last. I was for milking it as long as you could. And it reached its inevitable end. And then you turn the page. Now the miracle has been how quickly, once you turn the page, you're already relevant as a, as a totally reconstituted team, because it's easy to wander in the desert. Look at Orlando, look at Charlotte, look at a lot of teams that have just, you know, keep going back to the lottery and getting, you know, decent players. And that can be a long transition. Um, so, uh, but it worked out obviously for the brilliantly for the Grizzlies. They hung on as long as they could. They had a very good competitive team for a long time, and then when it was no longer the any really any really choice, then they turned the page. And they certainly got lucky in that they're really you know in the course of one season they turned it around and have started back up the other side. There's one player on this team I was watching during preseason that I thought made a noticeable addition to his game. I was watching some Dylan Brooks and I noticed that I felt like, I felt like just watching him last year, there were lots of situations where he would get cornered and he'd take very ill-advised shots, like in terms of just like turnarounds from the mid range with like 15 seconds left on the shot clock. And he takes shots that he can make semi-regularly, but in terms of just running an NBA offense, it's probably not best to have Dylan Brooks taking a lot of those per game. I noticed in several preseason games, he was making a lot of decent passes to the open corners and things like that. Do you think Dylan Brooks, if he can become a decent, obviously not like a John Morant level facilitator, but just a guy who can pass on the wing to the open man, do you think that'll help this Grizzlies team? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously, it's not just that it's preseason. It's that it's preseason against the same team because of COVID, you get the same team back to back. And so who the hell knows what any of this means? Um, Jaron said a couple of things. I mean, not Jaron, Dylan said a couple of things uh, during the sort of preseason interviews, uh, training camp interviews. One, he did say he was trying to create more off the dribble and, uh, or get better at creating off the dribble. And that might cause some alarm among some Grizzlies fans. Like the last thing you need is dribble. But the truth matters, if it's not what he's good at now, if he gets better at it, that, that's a good thing. But the other thing he said, and this is to your point, he said uh, that he's been working on getting the game to slow down, right? The game to slow down for him. And there's no question, if the game slows down for him and if he plays more within himself, like that's the fundamental question with Dylan. How do you have him be the aggressive Dylan who thinks he can guard anybody, thinks he can make every shot and has the a degree of confidence and swagger that really helps the team and is the only reason where he is the player he is. And yet, how do you have that, but also have a player who, um, you know, isn't, 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 doesn't have an outsized sense of self, right? Really. And, and that's the key for Dylan Brooks. And we'll see if he can achieve that, but that's, 
that's what you're really watching this year with Dylan. And it's going to be a little bit tougher with Jaron out because there will be more of a scoring load put on him. And so, and it's not, we don't know what the, what it will look like as a test, but once justice Winslow's there, once Jaron is there, it honestly right sizes Dylan a little more because there's more players who he can turn to and who will carry a bigger share of the load. Whereas a lot of last year, it was Dylan, like who was going to score? It was Dylan. He had to score. And it's why that whole stat about if Dylan scores 20 points, you win. It's why it was meaningful is because no one else was going to do it. They they didn't have perimeter scoring uh, enough perimeter scoring. Well, now if you get more uh, perimeter scoring from justice Winslow and who knows who else steps up, then it right-sizes Dylan in a way uh, that is helpful to the course of the franchise. Yeah, I was going to ask, I think this year the shooting guard small forward rotation for this team has just gotten a little bit deeper when you add guys like Desmond Bain. You have guys obviously like Justice Winslow who will be playing at some point in this season. Do you think Dylan's role will change as just a result of there being more people in that rotation? I mean, I think Dylan's role is pretty well established while justice winslow's out it appears he's playing the three while either grayson allen or d'anthony melton started the two and uh and that seems to be what they're doing there with likely kyle anderson at the four um we shall see uh when brandon clark gets healthy we'll see if maybe it's brandon clark but i suspect they'll still want him off the bench and then when justice winslow gets back dylan brooks will go back to the will, will be the two and at that point to me I mean, his role will be the same. The pressure on him to score may be less. To me, the interesting question then is, is who, because right now you're going to have Grayson Allen will be in the rotation and, and, um, and D'Anthony Melton will be in the rotation. They'll be, it doesn't matter who starts and who doesn't at the two, but one of them will come off the bench and one of them will start and they'll both play. But once Justice Winslow's back, Dylan, Dylan Brooks goes back to the two, one of those guys might fall out of the rotation. And, um, and I think people think it will probably be Grayson Allen, but if he really is a consistent shooter, it'll be hard to take him out of the rotation. I, to me, that's what's interesting is where the dominoes will fall when Justice Winslow gets back, Dylan slides back to the two, what's going to happen there? So I was reading, uh, I've been reading a lot of John Hollinger's previews because I know he's been releasing two of those a day on The Athletic. Yeah. And I think about a week ago, he dropped his Grizzlies prediction and he had them finishing around 12th in the Western Conference, predicting that they're not going to try to go for it to make the play in tournament. They're going to focus more on development. Do you think 12th is a reasonable expectation considering there's, like you mentioned earlier, there's the seven teams at sort of the top of the West. And then you've got teams like Golden State, like maybe Houston keeps James Harden. There's a lot of teams in that range that will be competitive. Do you think 12th is a good estimate for this team? Sure. You know, but what is Houston going to do? Like, I mean, uh, to me, a lot of that depends less, whether you're 12th, 11th, 10th, right. That's less on the Grizzlies than what the teams around you are doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, is Houston going to go full explosion or is James Harden going to be there with James Harden? They finish above the Grizzlies without James Harden, depending on what comes back. um, That might be totally different. So, Sure, 12th seems fine to me, but I can imagine 10th, you know, uh, and, um, but yeah, that has more to do with, it seems to me that what else is happening in the West than anything else. Um, So, yeah. 
Yeah, with the James Harden situation is very interesting because it's one of those things where I'm reading a lot of previews about the Houston Rockets and the consensus seems to be that if James Harden is on this team, even if he's very disgruntled, he can almost put up like 30 points, eight assists, like in his sleep almost. Like even if he's not that motivated, he just will. Like he, offensively, it's almost impossible to have a right. non-top 10 offense with a guy like James Harden. So even if the Houston Rockets are in the news every week because they all hate each other in the locker room and everything, it seems like that team, if they keep it together, will at least be in that eight to 10 discussion. But yeah, like you're saying, if James Harden is traded, that team could easily go to the bottom of the West very quickly. Yeah. It's funny the the, the stuff around the NBA that I don't like is, I mean, I'm a small market guy by, by, um, you know, I grew up in Buffalo and now I live in Memphis. So I'm sort of small market through and through. So the stuff that depresses me about the league um, is the, the, I have no theoretical advantage uh, problem with players having power. It's probably appropriate that players have power to their lives and all that. I just don't like the way it plays out for franchises in the situation that situations like the Grizzlies tend to find themselves in, you know, and so to see Giannis, um, you know, maybe forcing his way out of Milwaukee, that depresses the hell out of me. Like they, they've won at a incredibly high level. It's not like they've not even been successful. They've, but if you don't win a championship, like, oh, we got to get we got to get Giannis out of Milwaukee. It's depressing to me. And then I think it's just galling that that James Harden and again, Houston isn't a small market team, but that he can basically, you know, command them to get Chris Paul, then command them because he hates Chris Paul to trade Chris Paul, gutting their future in the process um, and uh, bringing in Russ. And then it blows up and now he can basically force his way out. I, I don't, I don't find any of that appealing um, as a fan. And for me, that's what the NFL, apart from revenue sharing, more TV money and everything else. What I like as a fan from the NFL perspective is if Josh Allen is in Buffalo and is good, I'm not sitting here worrying. Oh my God, he's good. In four years, he's going to probably go to New York. You know, like it just, that's not something that enters your mind as a uh, NFL fan. Um, whereas it has to as a small market NBA fan. And I, so again, I have no philosophical problem with players calling their shots. That's fine. But I don't like the way that it impacts a city like, could ultimately impact a city like Memphis. Yeah, that's definitely, I remember uh, living through like the Mark Gasol free agency or the Mike Conley free agency. And it was just, it was just constant like sweat of like, oh my gosh, like, are they going to go to San Antonio? (laughs) I mean, the good thing about the Grizzlies, that run was they weren't such superstars that they, that the, you know, that they were compelled to leave really. A, they were wired to like a small market team, et cetera. And then, but B, they weren't really you know, they weren't megastars. They hadn't gotten the Anthony Davis. They hadn't gotten the Chris Paul. They hadn't got, they were kind of A minus level stars and who were kind of overpaid by max contracts, you know, like a a max contract for Mike and Mark, uh, that's about all they could want. Right. And so I don't know how many people were lined up to pay them, but it wasn't everybody in the world the way it will be with Giannis. And so in a way the Grizzlies success 
they got lucky. It also, however, put a limit on the cap to their level of success. That team was never a threat to win a championship. It went to the uh, Western Conference Finals once, largely helped by injuries on the path to the Western Conference Finals and then got swept once they got there. But you could keep it together so long because they were sort of B, you know, B plus, A minus level stars. I think that, that what you're trying to build in Memphis is now is a team like San Antonio, which is where, where the camaraderie is so good, where the, where the vistas are so high, the possibilities are so um, glorious that they just don't ever need to leave San Antonio to do what they wanted to do. You know, uh, Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili, they could stay there. They liked each other and they could win titles. And um, what you hope is that what the Grizzlies are building here, um, and you see it a little bit like DeAnthony Melton. I don't know whether he could have gotten more money, but he talked about how much fun it is to be on this team right now. And you want to build a, a, the opposite of what New Orleans did with Anthony Davis, where he's like, what the hell am I staying here for? And if, if Jaron or Ja leave at some point, you want to make it, or a position where they could, you want to make it like, why would I leave this? What could I possibly, you know, beyond bright lights in a big city, what could I possibly get somewhere else that I don't have here? Um, and I think that is why partly the go slow building approach with getting another lottery pick um, makes sense for this team because you're trying to build, and they talk about this all the time, to be competitive uh, over the long haul. Oh, yeah, it's really interesting because I was looking at like uh, a team like uh, LeBron's uh, Cavaliers, like in the, the late 2000s, where essentially after his second season with Cleveland, they just hit a point where they were so good that they could never get that other pick to pair anyone else with LeBron James, where when you have LeBron on your team, you would just have a top four team in the East, basically after 2005, 2006, and then you're in this situation where you're Cleveland, you can't get anyone to come here, you can't really accumulate any assets to make a trade, and then you're in this sort of no man's land, which, I don't know, I think I think it has its value. Like, I think if you're a good playoff team, that has its value in terms of just being able to sell tickets and have a good team versus, like, just... Blowing. It doesn't have a value if, if you have the greatest player in the world. Like, for yes, the Grizzlies, no. it was a fine place for the Grizzlies to exist with the levels of players they had. But when you have the greatest player in the world, that's not a place where you can stay forever. Right. The greatest player in the world should be winning championships. And so um, so that's, but it's absolutely true that you have to have a critical mass, uh, mass of players. I remember with my, back to my beloved Buffalo Bills, one of the things they actually got lucky in, so Jim Kelly's drafted and he hates the idea of going to Buffalo. So he goes to the USFL. That allowed the Bills to continue to stink for a while so they could add Bruce Smith, for example, with the number one pick. And so then when Jim Kelly joins them, it's a critical mass that gets you to four straight Super Bowls. And in the end, that's what you want. You want a critical mass, a mass of good young players who fit together, like each other, and, uh, and are so good, it's compelling to stack. Yeah, the reason I wanted to bring up the LeBron instance is I think that might be comparable to the Giannis situation in that Giannis Antetokounmpo is obviously a top two, top three player in the NBA, depending on how you want to slice it. The Milwaukee Bucks, I think, is in a situation where they've done 
all they can realistically do, given the fact that the Bogdan Bogdanovich sign and trade has fallen through, where they've gotten a guy like Drew Holiday, who can be that second or third creator behind Giannis and Chris Middleton. But they're still in that situation where I think if a team can build the wall around the paint, like we saw with Toronto in 2019 or this past season with the Miami Heat, I think this Milwaukee Bucks team is designed to win a lot of games in the regular season, basically no matter what happens, just because of the quality shooting you find there. But then like when you have teams that specifically game plan against Giannis, it gets to a situation where the offensive efficiency plummets. Like I've seen lots of comparisons that just show the Milwaukee Bucks in the postseason. They're just, their offense gets in those uncomfortable spots where Giannis is specifically targeted what do you think is the future of that team? Like if they were to bring back Giannis? I mean, I hope it's Giannis stays and they live happily ever after. Because um, <laughs> uh, I like small markets. But I mean, the truth of the matter is you look right now, Miami had cap space, could have done things with it, decided not to. Toronto could have been aggressive, decided not to be. Dallas could have been aggressive, right. decided not to be. Those are three teams that are competitive, that have real aspirations for this year. Hell, Miami was in the finals and chose to, you know what? We're going to keep our powder dry here. And that's a clear signal that they're all lining up for Giannis. And so it just feels inevitable to me. I, I hate it, honestly. I hope they win a title and that that, uh, that will convince him to stay. Um, but I, I don't think, honestly, the chances of winning a title are getting better. Like, Last year felt like a good year to win the title. But I wasn't that impressed by the Lakers. You know, the, if you're listing title teams over the last 20 years, this year's Lake, last year's Lakers were not one of the great title teams. It was the, one of the lesser title teams, it's, it seems to me. Um, and, um, and yet, you know, they couldn't, get, they, they, they couldn't even get to that game, much less than beat the Lakers. So it feels inevitable to me that he will probably leave, but I don't like that. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't like it because of what it portends for small market teams generally. The idea that you have to get out of a city when you are literally winning more games than anybody else in the league last year seems to me to be crazy. But um, but that is, you know, it is, Kawhi didn't win a title last year at the Clippers, and I don't think he's going to win a title this year with the Clippers, and no one's saying, my God, we got to get him out of, out of Clipperland somewhere else, right? I mean, he ultimately may, but um, it's just, it is a standard that you don't hold stars in big markets to, right? No one's saying to right. Jason Tatum, got to get Jason Tatum out of that situation in Boston. He hasn't won a title yet. You know, you're saying, oh, nice, nice fit there in Boston. Maybe they'll win a title sometime down the road. It doesn't look to me like they're going to win a title this year or next year or next year. Indeed, I would suggest Giannis is probably on a better team right now than Boston, but why is it that all we hear about is moving Giannis? I mean, they're in different stages of their contract, but you're not going to hear that about Jason Tatum because people don't apply that standard to Boston. It infuriates me. I was going to say, I think in two years, we're going to get to that point where it's like, ah, oh, Jason Tatum, he's got three years left on this deal. <laughs> I don't think people don't try to get people out of Boston. They, they like, you can stay and be pretty good in Boston and everyone's content with that. No, you're not like, we have to move Jason Tatum out of Boston. Um, so you know, you, it, it, instead it'll be, we have to get Jason Tatum more help in Boston. That will be the conversation. It won't be, how do we get him out of that hellhole that is Boston? Um, and that's a double standard that I don't, I don't like. Okay. So 
final prediction for the Memphis Grizzlies? Oh, I have no prediction. I no, have no prediction. Wow. No, my prediction is that the um, – to me, one of the interesting stories with the Grizzlies will be – and I wrote about it this summer or whenever the hell I wrote about it – is there is this clause in the Grizzlies' lease where if the attendance wasn't up to a certain amount, um, that they have a clause that activates that um, that – obligates the city to either buy enormous numbers of season tickets or tickets, or the Grizzlies can get out of the lease, right? And that is going to kick in. Like that's happened. That is going to happen. That last year was a, was a year that did not meet the standard for attendance. The Grizzlies will activate that provision um, or will at least notify the city that they're going to activate that provision. And again, I don't think there's any, fear that Robert Kerr is trying to get the Grizzlies out of Memphis. I think had um, Kaplan bought the, been successful in buying the Grizzlies, we might be in that crisis. I don't think Para has any desire to move the team. But one of the things that will happen, here's my prediction, over the next year is we will see this issue emerge and we will see that the relationship between the city and the Grizzlies has to be reconstructed in a way such that um, they're not going to buy season tickets. That's not so, that's not the resolution that anyone wants. But you will see, and they're not going to have to build them a new arena or something. But there will be more public support, financial support of this team going forward, and that will I think it'll get into the news at some point. It'll be a talking point at some point, and hopefully people understand that the Grizzlies want to get it done, the city and county want to get it done. Um, and, um, and, and, and don't try to make it ugly. Like, how do we spend another dollar of that? Like in the end, you just got to do what you got to do. This is the situation in the lease, but it'll become, you'll see that in the next, you know, couple months will emerge as an ongoing story. And I would urge people to not be too alarmist about it. Um, you know, there are people all the time in Seattle who are like, well, let's go get the Grizzlies. Um, and I don't think the Grizzlies are there to be gotten. I think probably more more likely would be that New Orleans would move at some point than the Grizzlies. But um, to me, the biggest story with the Grizzlies is always the civic story. Like, what is their relationship with the city? They're, they're now celebrating 20 years in Memphis, which a lot of people never predicted would have happened. It has happened, 20 years in Memphis. And the key is making sure that there's 20 more. For sure. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on, by the way. It's good to have awesome. me. Good to have you. Good to chat with you. Thanks so much. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Folks, hope you enjoyed the interview with Jeff. This was really special, just being able to interview someone who looked up to for a long time. So this week has been very busy with finals. I expect next week I'll be putting up more content. Season starting, there's a lot to get to. I'll be doing a show very soon where I'll make season award predictions, and I'll break down my predictions for the standings in both conferences. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, see you later.